Working Class Audio is brought to you by Roswell Pro Audio, Gearsluts.com, The License Lab, Audio Technica, and Universal Audio. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 191. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 191 you're listening to. My guest today is Will Sadler, who is a live sound engineer and audio installer in Las Cruces, New Mexico. He works throughout New Mexico, so not just southern New Mexico. Uh, But Will and I have a connection in that we went to high school together. And if you go back all the way to episode number four of Working Class Audio, there is a connection there to that guest, David Wheeler, who we mention quite often in our interview. So I was recently in Las Cruces, and I had the opportunity to sit down with Will in his home in Las Cruces and have a great chat and learn a bunch of stuff that, truthfully, I didn't really know about Will. And uh, I'm excited to bring you that interview from an old friend. Will Sadler coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, get your coffee because I have a little rant for you. Let's talk opportunities. Opportunities come not always at the most convenient time. Sometimes it's at the worst time. But let's face it, it's not based on your schedule. Opportunity comes when it's ready to. So it's up to you to figure out if you're going to seize those opportunities and sacrifice personal things, family things, or friendship things. Let's talk uh, the personal, you know, maybe it's uh, interrupting your beauty sleep. No judgment here. I don't know if you're sleeping until noon, but if you are, you know, I don't know what's going on the night before, but maybe you can change your nighttime habits so that you can get up earlier to seize those early morning opportunities. Friendship things. Well, if you're out uh, hanging out with a friend who's in a moment of crisis, obviously that plays a great importance to you and your friend and wouldn't encourage you to sacrifice that. But You know, if it's a casual camping trip where you're out just like hanging out and drinking in the forest, come on, you can figure that out. And, and, you know, I'm sure your friends will understand. Family things are super tough because, you know, it could be a kid's birthday or or Halloween. There's only so many of those that you get as a parent. Weddings, you know, I don't know, those distant third cousins who have invited you to the wedding. That's that's debatable whether or not you want to give that up, but uh, I'd certainly sacrifice that personally. But it's the closer weddings. It's the brothers and the sisters and, you know, the nieces and nephews. Those are those are the hard ones. So it's up to you to figure out what you're willing to sacrifice for those opportunities. But the other side of that is figuring out if those opportunities are legit or not. Because some opportunities are going to be a waste of your time. And some opportunities are going to be a real welcome interruption. If you're hard up for work, you'll take anything. If you're not, well, you have to weigh the options. Do I sacrifice somebody's birthday wedding or a camping trip with an old friend to go do this? That's the hard part. Like I said, opportunity knocks at inopportune moments, and it's up to you to figure out what your bottom line is on sacrifice and what you're willing to do to get that opportunity to happen. So this is a friendly reminder. Be prepared. Know what you're going to do when opportunity knocks and what you're willing to sacrifice for it. As many of you know, Universal Audio plays a big role in working class audio. They help make the podcast possible. And I'm a big fan of their gear and uh, they're great people who work over there. So I definitely encourage you to... uh, 
Stop on by their website. That's uaudio.com. You know what they make, you know? Great plugins, uh, hardware that supports those plugins, as well as some fantastic old analog gear that, uh, hey, it's still great, right? 1176 LA2A. What's not to like there? Anyways, uh, stop on by uaudio.com and check those guys out. They're, uh, they're really good people who work there, as I mentioned, and uh, such great stuff. Also, stop on by gearsluts.com. We do sponsor the Audio Live Sub Forum. And uh, I know I say it all the time, but if you're tired of talking about gear and you just want to have a conversation about some of these other things in our lives, that's a great place to go if you want to continue the conversation that a lot of the times we start here. Yeah. Audio Life Sub Forum. That's right. Gearsluts.com. And, of course, if you've never been by WorkingClassAudio.com, come on by. Uh, maybe you get the uh, podcast through iTunes or maybe you get it through YouTube. Either way, come on by. We have, uh, of course, all of our sponsors listed there, but we also have almost 200 episodes to choose from. And uh, we have some stuff up there like the uh, WCA guest suggestion form if you want to recommend somebody to be interviewed. We also have some bonus content in the form of recommendations and some studio tours from some former guests. So, uh, yeah, come on by. There's also a couple of rarities, some uh, WCA video editions that you can check out. Those are interviews with, like, uh, Robert Scoville uh, at the Greek Theater in Berkeley, California, um, on the 40th anniversary tour for Tom Petty. This was, of course, before Tom passed. So check that out. Yeah, some, there's some great stuff over there. So come on by workingclassaudio.com and pay us a visit. All right, let's get to it. Let's go over to Will Sadler's house in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and have a chat. Mmm. That's good coffee there. All right, here we go. Will Sadler here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Well, welcome to the podcast, Will. For the listener, our history together is, is we went to high school together, played in marching band together. So I've known you for quite some time and stayed loosely in touch with you. See you once in a while when I come to town. At Hubbard's? For brief moments at Hubbard's Music Store. Will and I go back a ways. We have, we have a, a history. So let's start with right now. Currently, where you're at, and we'll try to explain the lead up into that. Okay, I work for two companies. One of them is Hubbard Music, which you know well. Yeah. And the other one is KW Sound. And KW Sound is currently owned by Kenny Arroyos. But if he has his way, I will own it in March or May of next year because he would like to retire. That is his hope anyways. So... Currently, we're in a very transitional period of time right now where he's very likely going to, he's not going to go all the way away, but he certainly will take a backseat and I will take over the company, which is something I never planned on doing. I mean, when you and I kind of grew up together, I don't think any of us planned to own anything ever, you know, own, we are musicians. And, and also, I don't think any of us had any sound plans per se. No, that was never on my list at all, period. Yeah. You know, it was my late 20s before any of this really kicked off. So tell me about this company. So KW Sound, we've been around now for, I think, 20 years. I've cert Certainly, Kenny and I have been together for 20 years. I use the word company semi-loosely to a certain extent, only because when we started out, just he had had to, he had been bought out by a company from San Antonio. And the way he got bought out was he got sent a bunch of gear and I met him, and so we just 
we're a little sound company in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We weren't trying to be anything more than that. And then every time we turned around, we were bigger. And uh, like everybody else who gets involved in the company, you never see where it's headed if you're not paying attention or don't have plans. And we were musicians, didn't have plans. Suddenly the company was bigger. Currently where we're at is uh, we are a company that works probably almost every weekend of the year, if not multiple shows per weekend every year. We help a company called South Coast Audio keep their stuff running also. And they are a larger company than we are in El Paso. So we have kind of a revolving you know, sister situation with them. And we go do everything from conferences to the mariachi festivals to huge concerts, the Las Cruces Country Music Festival, the Southern New Mexico State Fair. A lot of the stuff that happens in the Mountain Gods is us or Which our people. Which is up in uh, Rio Doso. Correct. Right. It, it, just for a little perspective, Las Cruces is located 45 minutes north of El Paso, Texas. The tip of Texas runs underneath New Mexico, and at the very bottom of New Mexico is this town, Las Cruces, which means the crosses in Spanish. That'll give you kind of a geographical framework of what we're talking about. Yeah, so Las Cruces, New Mexico probably shouldn't support a sound company. <laughs> it probably is not big enough to really justify what we are doing, but because of the El Paso connection, because of Albuquerque being a place we can compete in, and because of Ridoso, it makes for the possibility of a company. Um, but we do live two sides of the world, like I think most companies do in smaller towns. We do both live sound and we do installation sound. And so we cross both paths constantly. We're back and forth. I will go from Monday being in a church, in a high school, in a school, in a covered building, fixing PAs, to being behind the console at a huge concert. It just depends. So the weekends are primarily concert-based events, whereas the week is more installation-based activity. Correct. We slide back and forth constantly. Huh. So, which is actually a good thing because you're never behind on product. You know, you, you know what's out there because you're trying to install things that will last 10 years. And so you're trying to stay on top of that all the time. So it's helpful. How many people are in the company? Kenny, owner, myself, Bobby Jones, who you probably know. You remember Bobby Jones at all? I don't. Okay. Um, Bobby is more my age, a couple of years older than you, went to Mayfield, knew Will Stevens. So that gives oh, you some, okay. you ask Will about Bobby, he'll know him. Bobby was Weird Al Yankovic monitor engineer for a few years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of all things. So Bobby is number three. My girlfriend, Leah Harvey, is our lighting person. Uh-huh. And then we have probably four to six other guys that are in and out depending on what's going on. Um, so that makes it approximately a 10-person company. I wouldn't call it 10 full-time workers. That wouldn't be a fair representation, but certainly four full-timers and six come-ons as we have shows. And we have big things. And we go from we go from weekends that are just, I don't know how we're gonna get them through them to a couple of weeks when we don't need more than a couple of us. Huh. So it goes back and forth just depending. So the Las Cruces Country Music Festival is coming down on us. You know, Dwight Yoakam is on that, Randy Hauser, a few others, and that's going to be all hands on deck for four days and hope we survive to the end of it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of thing. We build a city, make the city work, take the city down, go back to what you're doing. Right. So that's, that's the gist of what we do. Wow. Okay. Las Cruces at this point is, what's the population? I think if you take the, what they call the extraterritorial zone, I think we're at 120,000 in that vicinity. Okay. And growing. You know, we're not shrinking, we're growing. Plus, there's the presence of New Mexico State here. Yep. White Sands Missile Range, Johnson, NASA, Space Center, stuff up that direction. So there's a decent amount of, uh, of things in the area. And what is the 
the bulk of the installation work made up of? That one gets kind of goofy because it can go from just a simple church that seats 100 people that needs two speakers and a way to make their preacher be heard, right. all, the, all the way to White Sands Missile Range where we did their Frontier Club, and that was 10 rooms that had to be zoned individually and video brought into that situation and you know, conferencing and that kind of thing, uh -huh. which was a fairly complicated one that took a lot of time to bid and a lot of time to install. So it runs the gambit, you know, it just depends on, we do lighting too. So the Inyate Performing Arts Center, Leah just helped write a bid for that. And for the Rio Grande Theater, she wrote lighting bids for those and we got those and put those in, changed those from conventional lighting to LED lighting and uh, brought their power draw down tenfold, I think when it was all said and done and still gave them the functionality they had before. So is that, a, is that part of the, a selling point bringing the, the power draw down led is is going and lighting is going to take over everything well it already has i mean you're seeing tours remember tours used to wander in and they were they wanted 600 amps and had to have 600 amps to even begin to survive and now they're down to some of their lighting draws can be 250 300 depending so you're seeing giant drops in that and, and eventually i think it will go to where you can see a big concert and there's only 100 amps hitting the stage sound and lighting included i think we're going to get there Wow. Now, I understand that from the LED perspective and how that lack of um, power requirement helps. But from the sound aspect, is it because a lot of things, a lot of uh, there's a lot of software being introduced in situations and you just don't have the same circuitry drawing much bigger power? Basically, as I mean, we you know, class AB amps back in the day were big power hogs and a lot of it was wasted in the power sink. And now you have digital switching power supplies that are quicker and faster and don't draw as much when they're not being hammered. So, you know, just technology moves forward. You know, I certainly am not an expert on any of that. I just I deal with it and I know what we're dealing with and what we've changed out. Weight has come down for everybody too over time, slowly, you know, so trucking costs have should have come down, but you know, it just depends on how big of a show you build. That part, luckily, I'm out of that. The big touring stuff, only had to do it a little bit of my life and don't really, I don't care. It, it just <laughs> does not matter to me. I don't want to be on the road. I have no interest. How did you get into this aspect of it years ago? Because I mean, first of all, you've always been a fantastic bass player. You played uh, tuba, right? In, mm -hmm. in marching band when we were in high school. So how did that transition to sound? I knew you were going to ask me this question. So I kind of looked, I have a bad mind where it comes being linear in thought. Yeah. Okay. So I only know a couple moments in all of this. When I was 15, 16, Wheeler and I, David Wheeler, who you've spoken to, were in a play together. And somehow or another, the job of running the PA became my job. I played bass and ran the sound system for the play. I don't know how. I'm not sure how that worked out. I suspect Rob Gaines, his father, Mr. Gaines, I suspect knew that I could run my bass amp and assumed that meant I could run the mixer board. So <laughs> remember that. Then I remember being in Mississippi, going to Mississippi State, playing in a band called I dot E dot, which means, for example, in Latin, which is so REM from the daytime. Yes, it yes. is. <laughs> Just let that go. It's a good band. It was an okay band. I loved it. And I remember seeing the console, and it was being run by a man named Lyle Eaves. And Lyle Eaves went on to be Blind Melon's sound guy. Oh. Little weird connection there. And I remember seeing the board and saying, I'm never going to run one of those. I remember distinctly saying that. And then I got back to Las Cruces and was finishing my degree. And Roman Chip, who is a saxophone player, who was our assistant band director at Las Cruces High School. Oh, yeah. Okay. Roman asked me to join a band called Caliente, a Tejano band. And uh, I joined the band, figured out how to play Tejano on bass, which was a, that was quite its own story. 
and uh, you know, wasn't something I knew how to do and had to figure out. It's a totally different style of music than I, when I was used to playing compared to jazz and rock and country and all the rest of it. But their PA was terrible. <laughs> the sound system was horrible. And I just started trying to figure out why. And that road led to this, basically. I mean, that's the starting point. I think I was in my early 20s, 23, 24, when all that started and slowly but surely learned all the principles about why it did what it did. And then started to work for Drew and then met Kenny. And now 20 years have gone by and this is what I do for a living. And Drew that we're talking about is Drew Hubbard of uh, Hubbard's Music and More, which has been for Will and I like a staple music store throughout our lives. So, and it's still here. So I'll put a link in the show notes. You can check it out. Fantastic people, salt of the earth friends of ours that that run it. Have put up with me for 20 years. I mean, that's its own And that's thing. that's a, that's a job in itself, right? <laughs> it is, absolutely. I talked to him. I think I talked Drew into letting me try and come help with the store. If I remember this story halfway right, I'm sure Drew has his own side of it. And Pop was okay with it. And I just sort of built it into my own thing where I do the install side of things. Right. Pop was Drew Hubbard's father who passed away a few years ago. And, and was, was amazing. Was an amazing individual. And, and all of us who grew up here in young musicians' lives, uh, he was he was a central figure for a lot of us. Oh, and for me, work-wise, Pop was, I'll just tell a quick story on Pop because I can't help it. I was terrible about turning in hours because I was always out doing churches or something. I was never in the store. He had <laughs> told me every second Saturday was turn in your hours and get paid, and I would always forget. And so I would almost go six weeks at times without remembering to turn hours in. And he'd catch me in the store and he'd walk out, Mr. Sadler, are you a grown-ass adult? And I'd be like, yeah, Pop, turn your hours in. And he'd come back into his <laughs> office. <laughs> I was always in trouble for doing that because I would just get sidetracked. You know, because I was, I was working multiple things, so I always had sources of income coming in. So, I mean, I, I needed the money. I wanted the money, but I would forget about it. Right. You know, and he didn't like it when it got built up over time. So, it was funny. When people think of New Mexico, they always say, oh, Albuquerque, Santa Fe, and never have heard of Las Cruces, when it's actually the second biggest city in the state of New Mexico, unless it's the home of New Mexico State. I'm curious, you left town to go mm -hmm. to school in Mississippi. Yep. What brought you back here? because a lot of people, including myself, wanted to escape. So, well, and some of us have uh, vehicles to escape. I had a band and I, that's how I got out. And it's not to say that staying here is like some kind of, you know, uh, problem, but no, no, no. why didn't you decide to- Why didn't I leave all the way? I left for quite a while. I left for a number of years and uh, back in the early nineties, I went to school at Mississippi State University for two yeah. years. And then I cruised my band, i.e., decided we were going to make it big and move to Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And why we thought that was a place to go make it big at, I'm not exactly sure, but that's where we moved to. And uh, at that time, there was a, my best friend's sister became my girlfriend. And I fell in love with that girl, and that fell apart. And when that was all said and done, that's kind of what drove me back to Cruces. And my intention was not to be here past finishing my bachelor's. You know, immediately meant to leave. And these set of affairs started to happen where I got into something I was good at, that I enjoyed, and used both sides of my brain. Music's pretty one-sided brain-wise, and uh, there's always been a lacking piece of that for me. I love music to death. I mean, that's why I do this. Mm -hmm. And I love playing, but these two things together were like the perfect combination. I think that's, that's the answer to a lot of sound guys and a lot of recording people is that you got two things combined. 
you know, you have the artist, the artistic side of being a musician, and then you combine that with the technical side of working gear, and that's a potent combination. I mean, you read it in a lot of people's histories and all this. But what made me stay in Las Cruces in the end was my parents live here, mm-hmm. and uh, my sister was married and had kids. And uh, at a certain age, you go, it's going to be time to take care of them. And I'm sure you have the same battle in your life of coming back and forth to make sure people are okay and visiting and all the rest of it. And oh, so, sure. Aging parents. Yeah. And so that's kind of what made me hang around. And then we were building, then we were suddenly building a business. And that was another piece of the puzzle is that I enjoyed that notion of at that time, you know, building a business, you eventually realize it's a lot more complicated than you think it is. Yeah. But at the time when I was first getting into it, I was so into that. I had no urge to, to leave and go anywhere else. And I've always liked Las Cruces, even when I was leaving it and knew I needed to leave. It wasn't about the town. It was about, I just gotten myself in enough weird situations. It was time to jet and do something different. The whole small town factor, or we'll just say people's hometown, plays a different role in, in, in people's lives. And some people are, they escape it. Some people stay and never leave and never see the rest of the world. Some go out, see the world, come back. Beyond enjoying a business that you've helped build and having a, a familial connection here, uh, is there something about Las Cruces that draws you, that keeps you here? Yeah, I've been in enough places to know. The one thing I figured out really quickly is that nowhere's really different. When you stay somewhere long enough, you meet the kind of people you are going to meet. Yeah. That's just how it works. I mean, your personality tends to find like minds or or people you'd want to hang out with. I mean, I laugh in Mississippi, I have a David Wheeler. I mean, I literally have a David Wheeler and another friend in Mississippi who's my very close friend who I go see, you know, twice a year. Yeah. Basically, if you want to live somewhere different because of the geography, I mean, like I love Colorado and I love mountain biking. So I would love to live in Colorado because the geography, people-wise, I'm sure I'm going to meet my people, so to speak. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a So Las Cruces is, I'm not worried about what it is or what it isn't. I know that there's good people here. I've met them. I like them. Um, contacts become very important in our industry and if you know all the people and all the places but the main thing is more than anything else i can't get too far from green chili i mean i really can't i mean, <laughs> I, can't, just, I simply cannot get too far from mexican food yeah um i spend half my time riding a mountain bike trying to keep that food off of my body so to speak right right but i can't get too far i hated living in mississippi for food reasons i hated living in north carolina for food reasons and i love the culture here i love spanish combined with English. I just do. I think that's one of the most amazing things that occurs in this town is that conglomeration of two different pulling and pushing cultures. It's just, it's, it's cool. Joining Caliente and playing in that band for 10 years, I grew up here. And until I did that, I didn't know exactly what I was looking at when I went to Las Cruces. I really didn't. I didn't understand it completely. But 10 years of playing quinceañeras and weddings and all these other things completely changed my view of what all Las Cruces and Silver City and Deming in this area is. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty connected to this piece of dirt. You know, I really am. I love riding my bike in this dirt. I used to love driving my blue four-wheel drive all over this dirt. I pulled up <laughs> and I saw that truck and I thought, is that the truck he had in high school? It is the truck I had in high school and I cannot get rid of it. And uh, so I need to put it back together. I need to spend some more time on it. But as you know, in our industry, we wind up busy with a a million side projects and our side projects don't get time put into them. To wrap up what you were saying about the culture here, it is interesting. I think when you come from this town, you're, you're tied to Hispanic culture, even as a white person is so strong. It's gigantic. I mean, it's, I grew up here. I mean, my parents 
moved here when I was two months old. So I grew up here. They came from South Carolina at the time, but I was two months old when I landed here. So this, this is all you've ever known. Yeah, this is all I've ever known. Really, I mean, I went and lived back there for a while. I'm back there all the time. I go back to Mississippi two, three times a year because we have land there. There's a little town in Mississippi with my name on it. Oh, really? Middle name. William Foxworth Sadler. Middle name Foxworth. Little town in Mississippi named Foxworth, Mississippi. Foxworth. Foxworth. That's cool. <laughs> I love it. I always joke, it sounds like a boat captain. William Foxworth Sadler. Boat captain. Captain Foxworth. Shout out to our friends over at Roswell Pro Audio who helped make the Working Class Audio podcast possible. Recently had the pleasure of using their Mini K47 mic, which is priced at $299 on a Marshall cabinet. And I got to tell you, it sounded absolutely amazing. And that's going to be part of my setup from here on out. So if you want to check it out, go over to roswellproaudio.com. And they do offer free shipping, but if you really want to help our cause with them, Make sure on the checkout when you're buying a mic that you include the code WCA free ship. And that way they know that you came from us and you heard about Roswell Pro Audio from Working Class Audio. So there it is. Check it out. RoswellProAudio.com. Let's talk money and economy and, and, and business um, about sound. This is a town that is cost of living is quite affordable. Mm -hmm. Having grown up here and coming here and filling a gas tank up and buying food um, and living in the Bay Area now, it almost feels like they, they're giving it away. <laughs> That's how skewed it, it feels. I'm sure, actually. I mean, I've been through, you know, I've been to big towns. I know what things cost there. I'm a, I don't know how you guys survive. <laughs> well, we just, I think we make more. You do. In it's some all case, it's all relative. It's really. all relative. But Tell me about surviving as an audio professional in a town like this. There's two sides to this discussion, and they're both kind of fun. The first one is that you do a lot of different things. You're not going to do one thing. Right. You're not going to run concert sound five days a week, and that's how you pay your bills. I mean, you're just not. You're going to one day literally be running sound for a doctor's conference, and the next day is something like High Heels for High Hopes, which is a huge fashion show we do every year. Yeah. And those two things did occur back to back, literally. Little doctor's conference right into this huge, you know, big production. So you do everything. If it's necessary, you do it. There are things that we don't necessarily think to be involved in, but I've done a bunch of home audio installations, you know, just because they we met the guys on concerts and they went, Do you do that too? I'm like, Well, we can. I mean, we don't really we don't market ourselves that way, but if you need that, we'll go do that. If we have time, we can find free time. So our hardest thing is making sure we're not spreading ourselves too thin. We can always find a way to make money, but we can also spread ourselves out to the edges of the sound world and no one's happy with you when you're doing too much and can't get all your stuff done. So you have to be very careful that you haven't lined up all these projects that seem really cool and then you can't get them all done in a timely manner. Sorry, I'm late to sound check. I was installing a home theater. Yeah, exactly. You can't do that. So, <laughs> so we, have a, we have a couple of basic rules. When big concerts come, everything gets dropped and everyone knows you know, we're very careful of our customers. Come Thursday when it's load-up day, we're done. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and usually Sunday are gone days. We'll be back to your job Monday morning. And we're very careful that we express that to every installation that we sell because you have to do that. You have to stop what you're doing on Thursday, and you have to start doing your lists for the show coming up and prepping the trucks and all the rest of it. Because if you don't do it that way, you'll try and do both at the same time, and it doesn't work. There's no way to do that. Maybe there is. I haven't solved it. And I'm not going to try to because I know that we have to just shut down 
one side of it and move to the next side. And then when you come back on Monday, you've dropped the concert because it's over, it's packed that way, it's back in the warehouse and you can go back to installation. Do you base your, your pricing to your clients because your clients can be a mixture of locally based clients as well as possibly companies that are coming from out of town, maybe bigger cities, does that happen? Yeah, pricing in Las Cruces, I mean, our per capita income, I think is in the mid twenties, if I had to guess. And so you have to be careful that you don't get yourself into jobs that you really are not breaking even on. And we got ourselves in trouble early on. I mean, Kenny and I both were not business people. We were both musicians and uh, we knew, you know, what it took to make a few dollars playing in a band, but to make a business work where you're paying off your employees and paying warehouse rent and electricity and all the rest of it, all those things were not natural and still really are not. We're still learning it, but we have learned that there's two things that have to happen. You cannot be too floating your pricing against a government entity towards a, a small individual group. If you do that, you're not being fair to either one of them. It costs what it costs to do a show. So if we're taking just a concert production, it costs what it costs to do that. And it shouldn't cost any more for one set of people or any less for another set of people. That's not a game we're real comfortable. Having said that, do a lot of charity stuff where we ride around the edge of, of breaking even. We do a ton of that. It, there's just a lot of stuff you can do charities for. So we're careful not to overload ourselves with it, but there's a lot of things where we're just breaking even for charities. But that's a hard part of the game. It's probably the hardest part of the game is how do you decide you know, where your billing price is going to be at? You can do all the numbers and all the rest of that, but then there are other pieces to the puzzle. You know, where's that, where's that dollar coming from and all the rest of it? But um, we try and be stable. I really do. You know, if you're trying to throw a concert, a concert costs a certain amount of money to do that. Does the gear carry a separate fee from the, from the labor? Or is it just kind of an all-in-one price you guys figure out? Yeah, that does matter. Because if we're taking out our newest stuff and it's got a certain depreciation value to it, we're considering that. Absolutely. And a lot, remember in the concert world, a lot of it is rental, a ton of it's rental. I mean, if we're doing a big concert like the Las Cruces Country Music Festival, they're asking for um, mixing consoles often that we have no justification for owning year round. So we're renting those um, either from somebody in El Paso or Albuquerque or sometimes as far away as Dallas if we have to. It depends on how, if they're not bringing their own stuff and they're what we call a fly date, you know, where they're flying in and they have to have a specific console or they won't do the job that's a rental cost. So that gets passed on almost directly, you know, with us making enough money for handling the, the situation. But in terms of our own personal gear, yeah, our newer stuff is going to cost more than our older stuff. There has to be a, there has to be that breakdown, you know, but often, you know, and I, I think most sound companies will tell you this, it's really hard sometimes because you want to go do a good job. So you're going to, at the end of the day, once you set your price, you're going to go do a good job. And if suddenly they've added the seven piece salsa band and you expect five monitor mixes, you're going to add the two monitor mixes and you're not going to add it to the bill. And you're just going to go do the show because you're not going to say, well, well, you only paid for five and that's what we're doing. That's just not how we roll. You know, if, if, if the job needs seven monitor mixes in the end, we're going to go do that. If we can, if we can manage to get our money back out of that, we'll do that. But if we can't, we're still going to do it. So there's some of that involved. When you say that, it makes me think mm, small towns, small towns have really nice people, you know, as far as that I've experienced traveling around this country and other countries, small towns are just strangely friendly. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get people coming in expecting a bigger town attitude from you and are pleasantly surprised enough to comment on it? Oh yeah. That's 
the absolute, what kept me in business on this, even when I got frustrated with it, was we would have folks walk off their buses and be absolute bearers. And within about two hours, they realized, okay, these guys are not jerks. They're going to treat us well. You know, we're fine. And all of a sudden, they're nice. And you're like, okay, you know, we're fine. It's good. I, I make the old joke of the roadhouse thing where we're not going to be, you know, bad until someone says we can be bad. And that's, <laughs> we truthfully do that. We, we're going to be good people up until the point in time where you just give us absolutely no other choice. And even then, we're not going to be bad people. We're just going to quit trying to be nice because it's, it's not worth our effort, apparently. That must be frustrating if you've got people coming off of, you know, the tour bus or out of a van or whatever, slinging attitude and giving zero respect from the get-go. The saddest part of this business for me, and I never knew it was even possible, is that if I run sound for a band or deal with a band, I don't even have to run sound for it. If I deal with a band that I like, that I love, and I have a bad experience with them, I'm done with their music. I'm through with it. I can't put it on anymore. Um, and that's and it doesn't even have to be the band. That's the sad part. It can just be management. You know, it can be the production people, whoever. And I didn't realize that my brain worked that way. But in my mind, you've dissed me on a certain level for no reason, and I'm done. You know what? I completely, 100% identify with that and have experienced that. I won't name who it was, but I had... I had kind of a raw experience at uh, KFOG in San Francisco. There was an, a solo kind of a country-ish, alt-country kind of artist coming through that absolutely was a grade-A asshole. And afterwards, every time I hear that fucker's name, I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I don't want to hear that music. It's over. It's just because when I hear it, I recount that experience and that attitude. And I think, I don't want to support this person. No. It's, and that's... I can't decide if I'm glad that I know they're bad people and glad I walked away from it and don't listen to them or if I've lost at least just hearing their artistry, even though they're jerks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't decide what I think about that. I just know it's a fact. I just know if I have a horrible day with you, I'm not going to listen to your music anymore. I'm done. The flip side of that, of course, is groups that you never would have thought that you would have even listened to. Yep. You have a positive experience with them and then you're like, oh. I like these guys. And they're on my iPod the next day. That's right. That's absolutely, that's the complete truth right there. I mean, it's, I just, that part of this whole business, I never considered. I never saw that coming. That was not something I understood was a piece of the puzzle when you're on this side of it. I just, I don't know. It just never occurred to me. You know, so it's interesting. I've, I've, I've never been able to put that into a place in my thought process as to what that means. I just, I just quit worrying about it. It just is what it is. A lot of people on the on the podcast are um, engineers who work in studios and or they're freelance engineers. And there's always a discussion about uh, some people call it gas, gear acquisition syndrome. Some people call it gear lust. We always talk about the the danger of one overbuying equipment just because of a fascination with the equipment combined with a little retail therapy that they feel that they have to exercise. And then a freelancer can very easily go broke. Are there pitfalls for you that are similar to that? Oh, yeah. It's, it's gigantic. I mean, the way things have gone now, right now, line array is the catchword in our business. It's kind of funny because you'll see a lot of guys that have four boxes of line array aside that doesn't really make a line array. Yeah. Line array is a theory of physics that involves a whole bunch of boxes on one side. And once you're doing that, you're talking about a $300,000 system. I mean, that's where you're at at that point, if, if not more than that. Even yeah. buying used, that's a dangerous thing so 
Yeah, we have to be really careful. I mean, the writers we get coming in from bands, um, depending on if they're local, regional, national, some of the writers we have to meet. It's an absolute necessity. It's just the way it is. And But that show usually is of the size and the, the monetary income that it justifies it and you're okay. And then some of your shows are middle ground. Those are the ones that get dangerous where you have middle regional artists demanding things that really are not in their pantheon to be asked for, but they're doing it anyway. And then you're caught in the middle between them and the promoter and deciding whether or not that can be something you give them. They really want the band, but the band's over asking for gear. And can you make that work? So that that's a piece of it. In terms of our own gear ownership, we're just careful. Yeah, we overbuy sometimes. It does occur. Yeah, we buy new things because they're cool sometimes. We, everybody does that. Mm -hmm. But we don't ever want to be in a lease arrangement or a rental arrangement or any of those things because you have to be moving your gear a lot more for that to work. To be in a lease arrangement on a big PA that's $300,000, $400,000, that gear better be seeing shows two, three times a week for that to be justifiable. And we're not going to see that kind of market action in the city. I just said market action. Okay, these are these are these are, these are terminologies. Market action. <laughs> these are terminologies I never thought I'd be bringing up ever. And then you just wanted up. to play bass, man. That's all I wanted to do, man. Seriously, I get into market action. <laughs> so no, we're but we're like more careful about that because we can. A lot of our stuff is local stuff, so we can keep older gear working a lot longer than other companies could because a lot of our stuff is local stuff, and that's cool because you can. The truth of the matter in live sound is that yes. There are technologies that make things sound better. The question is always going to be, does the crowd know they make things sound better? And if they do know it, then yeah, that's a justifiable expense. If the crowd's not going to know it, then why is that money being spent? And I wish, to be honest, I wish the concert world in general would ask these questions because ticket prices might not be as obnoxious if the questions were asked, but they're not. Everyone wants the new toy. And if you get big enough as a musician, you're gonna ask for the new toy. I was always completely blown away at the way Tom Petty shows had sounded within the last, my experience of Tom Petty shows within the last 10 or 15 years. And then I had the uh, fortunate experience to have uh, Robert Scoville on the show and visit him at the Greek theater in Berkeley and see what they were using and the amount of stuff, not only to support the, the show, but also capture and redundancy of, of the different systems, which actually brings me to the question, do you ever do any live recording? Is that ever brought up? Yeah, it comes into our world at times, depending. Not as much as you would think that it would, but it does it does crop up. We have ways to do that, either whether it being just a left and right feed or a full multi-track situation, we can do it. Very often, if we're running into that, the group's carrying their own console and their own recording setup, and they're doing it themselves. And we're providing racks and stacks and teching the rig. You know, so it's it's not as common for us to have to to do that. You're poised to take over this company at some point here in the future. It looks like it, yeah. <laughs> Is that something that you've wanted? What a, okay, so that question I knew was coming also in some part of all this. And so I want to go find the person that said, if you never want to work a day in their life, do something you love, I want to find that person. I want to beat them into submission because they're lying. <laughs> they're absolutely lying because I love what I do. But there are all, if you're in a business, there are always pieces of the puzzle that you do not love. Right. Uh, you, know, you do not love the accounting. You do not love all the parts of taxes that go along with that. Right. You do not like some of the people you run into while doing the thing you do. 
Right. So that is a that statement is an out and out lie unless you're totally by yourself farming some little seed that makes you happy to farm. I don't know. Yeah. You know, but you if you have to interact with any other parts of a situation in your world, it's rare that that's going to be the case. So to answer your question about the business, yeah, I'm I'm going to be happy doing it. I'm at a point in my life now where I, I get enough of the piece of the puzzle to do it. Was it ever what I meant to do? No, I never meant to be the person in charge. More and more as this has gone on, I'm the guy everyone's looking to for the answers. I'm going, thinking to myself, I didn't have any of them 10 years ago and I don't have them now. Okay, I'll go find them. <laughs> That's yeah. what it comes down to. You know, that, that part's interesting. You know, and, and this is a detail-oriented business. Sound is you have to pick, take all the right gear to the right place, especially if you're 100 miles away. And I'm not a detail-oriented person, so I've had to learn to be. Hmm. And uh, that was not something I had expected. Hey, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Audio Technica. They help make the working class audio podcast possible. You can find them at audio-technica.com. They, of course, offer headphones, microphones, turntables, turntable cartridges, as well as many accessories that you might need, like headphone replacement cables and headphone pads. The great thing is, is there's no hesitation required. If you see something you like, you can buy it right there on the website. So check them out, audio-technica.com. And thanks for supporting our friends at AT. I always go a little bit into this as well, as far as uh, uh, physical health, mental health, a little bit of that. You mentioned bike riding. So obviously you do enjoy that uh, from a health perspective. 2012, December. I'm getting beer while I'm doing this. Yeah. Do you know this part of my story? I don't know. I don't know what you're about to tell me. The year thing? No, I don't know what you're talking okay. about. All right. In 2012, I flew back to see my family. 2012, I flew back to see my family. When I got back here, I had an ear infection. So I thought in my left ear, I, everything was, everything was clogged over there. I'd had a lot of ear infections in my life. Just, I had them fairly constantly. And I went and saw an ear doctor finally, much later than I probably should have, but my doctor kept saying it was an ear infection. When I finally saw the ear, nose and throat doctor, he goes, you don't have any hearing over there. It's not, that fullness you feel is not um, liquid. There's no hearing over there. That ear's dead. <laughs> like, okay. And he was very gruff and very not nice. Um, I hate that doctor. Looking back on it, I really was pissed at him. Luckily, I didn't give up on him, and I went to a, another doctor. And that doctor said, yeah, he's correct. I mean, you've, you've lost all your hearing in the ear. Let's do this. And they injected steroids back behind it. And to make a fairly long story short, because it's three or four months of, of length of time, the steroids didn't work. I had no hearing in that ear, and my career in this business was over. And so I, in the middle of all that, quit smoking started walking, started bike riding because the sound in this ear was the most horrible high-pitched squeal. I, can, I couldn't sleep. I slept on that couch in there as opposed to my bed. I don't know why. I was just someplace different. I couldn't sleep. It was just weeks of not sleeping because of that just horrible sound. So was it a tinnitus type? Oh, yeah. It was tinnitus, but it was tinnitus to the extreme. I mean, it was just, it was incredibly horrible. So I finally told Kenny, I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm gone. Um, I helped do one more show. I've been running sound on my right ear for all these months thinking this will clear up. Yeah. I mean, I was fine. My, my mixing was still okay. I wasn't, no one was coming and saying things sound terrible, but I was living on one ear. So I go to Mississippi and I'm mountain biking all in Mississippi, having a good time. 
and I come back in July and it's all back. <laughs> and I hadn't even noticed. I hadn't noticed it come back. It had come back so gradually that I had noticed it, but I had a hearing test in July as soon as I got back from Mississippi and lo and behold, I have my hearing back and no one can, no one can tell me why it's, it's very interesting because that's not supposed to occur if you lose it and it doesn't come back in like three days or so. Right. It's supposed to never come back. And mine was like three months later and it came back. So they don't have a good answer other than there are viruses apparently that can freeze the inner ear hairs and you know, they don't know. Nobody knows. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a period of time, but that broke about every bad habit I had all in one shot. <laughs> I mean, it really did. If you lose that side of your head, I can't tell you the number of things that go away. Location of sound goes away. Yeah. You don't know where people are. I, I was spinning around in the recital hall one day at NMSU trying to find who was calling my name because I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. If you lose one side of your head, that's what happens. You wow. Just, you can't, you, your head became mono. Yeah. You can't source things, you know, because time distance between it hitting one ear and the other tells you where it's at. I guess it gave you a whole new appreciation for that. Every inch of it. I got a whole new appreciation for the whole thing. So, you know, so that's where my, the healthy, what do I do hobby wise? How do I get out of this? How do I get out of the sound? How do I do other things? That's where all of that comes from. Others that may go through a similar thing. If they hear that story, they may think, well, no, wait a minute. Let me get a second opinion because I heard this guy's story in New Mexico and I want to check with a different doctor. You don't give up. So, yeah, you don't give up. There's one thing. That's one thing I didn't do is I saw three ear, nose, and throat doctors in this course of two days. Yeah. And no one wanted to do steroids because it had been so long since the first diagnosis, but one of them was willing. And I don't know if the steroids are what fixed it. I don't, I don't know if quitting smoking and bike riding fixed it. I'll never know. But your change of habit caused a change. Yes. Something did. Something changed, and, and while you can't necessarily put your finger directly on the thing, it could have been dropping all those bad habits and picking up a whole sort, a whole bunch of new habits. Yeah, positive habits. It could be. It, it absolutely. I mean, you know, I went from being, you know, you know how we are in our industry as musicians. We drink way too much, smoke way too much, and do all these other things too much, and that kind of nixed all that, you know, very very quickly in one successive shot, which was probably the best way for me to go about it. So when it came back, did you kind of think, okay, this is a second chance. I still almost quit. I was almost like, you know what? I want to hear it 60. I want to hear it 70. I really, really, cause there's moments I'm leaving out of this. There's moments sitting in the chair, trying to listen to music and not able to do it because there's distortion in it. Um, my brain was sensing that as a missing thing and it was, everything sounded distorted. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, am I ever going to be able to listen? You know, there was a week there where I was like, I'm not sure I can ever again listen to music. I think it's done. I think it's over. I think I have to go do anything else besides music. So, you know, I don't know. Looking back on it, I almost quit anyways because I wanted to hear it at 60. And I didn't want to be in this industry and lose my hearing. I decided to keep after it for one reason and one reason only. It's what I'm pretty good at. Yeah. And when you find something you're pretty good at, it's hard to run from it. It's hard to get away from it. I just decided I'd be careful about it. So I'm very careful that the indoor shows are not my, the indoor loud rock and roll sh shows are not my thing. Yeah. I stay away from those now. We've got young kids who can do those. And we still encourage them to put your plugs in at a certain point. And I'm also that evangelist now, sadly. I mean, Scotty gets the, gets my wrath on a constant basis. And Eric Kurtz too. It's like, turn your guitar amps down. That is not how Matt would mix y'all. <laughs> you were talking about the band Cordova 
who is from Las Cruces, who I've been mixing lately. And uh, so these guys that we're mentioning, Eric and Scott, are from the, the band Cordova. So you enjoy exercise, you bike ride, you walk. Climb mountains. Climb mountains. God, I hate I hate that. But <laughs> I remember my wife says, let's go on a hike. I'm just like, Ugh. I grew up doing that, though. I was in Scouts. I was, was that guy who was climbing things all the time. So there's always been kind of a, a little bit of an outdoors aspect of you yes. that I, from my memory. Yeah. It's, I, you know, if I could go camping all the time, I would do it in this business. That's not possible because everything happens on the weekends. You know? Yeah. If there's a downside to what we do. It's that the hours are funky. And so it's hard to plan things. You literally have to tell people I'm leaving for two weeks and whatever happens, I don't care if things crop up or jobs pop up. I'm not here. You know? Right. So, uh, you, do you do that? Do you just check I do. out now? Go camping and yeah, mountain climbing. I just say I'm gone because if you don't, you'll never leave, you know, because there's always something that comes up. There's always somebody calling on the Monday before Saturday going, Hey, we need two speakers and a video camera, I mean, video you know, projector or something. I'm like, okay, let's see if we can do that. So if you don't just call the ball and leave, you won't. Over the years within the world of professional audio, is there any one or two harsh lessons that you came upon that still stick with you to this day that you know, it's always those big ones that stick with us. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest deal was just to understand immediately that you were not going to do this on a huge level at a sheer skill. And what I mean by that is that I looked at sound when I initially started it as something you could climb a ladder based upon skill. Like you could say as an education person, or as a sports person, where your skill would take you to a certain height. We know in music that's not the case. You can be amazing and poor as heck. Yep. You know, you can be mind-blowingly good and make no money. Um, you've been down your own road with the sextants and other things and seen how that comes and goes and falls and all the rest oh, of it. Oh, hell yeah. And I thought sound engineering was different than that. And I'm wrong because it is still luck. It is the luck of who you run into and where they might go and all the rest of it that can carry you into the higher echelons of some of this if you want to go there. And so if you think that just getting good at it is going to take you where you might want to go, it's not. There's still a lot of social interaction and contact that matter more than almost that does. I mean, yeah. how many bad recording engineers have you run into that just knew somebody? I've seen, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I've run to a million bad live sound engineers who just were a friend of the band. Yep. The funny part about that, though, there's a second piece to that discussion. That is, when I hit about 40, I realized I don't want to be on the road with one band. I would go nuts. So there was a point in time where I kind of wanted it. I mean, I wanted to climb that ladder and be on the big tour. And I, suddenly there was a day where, I, no, I don't want to do that. I'm seeing these tours come through and I see what they do and I see their life. And that's not what I want at all. So there was a two-sided discussion to that. But definitely, if you're getting into audio and you think getting good at it is going to take you directly to a place, it's not. There's a whole social side of it, a whole luck side of it that is still a piece of the puzzle. And don't be confused by that. It doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue this. I mean, being good at something is its own reward and, and will pay money in a town. But if you're hoping a big tour is going to come find you because you're good at it, that's not how this plays. Right. It's still a very social, small group of people who meet each other and get comfortable with each other. And very often the sound guy is the counselor, psychiatrist to the band. So there are pieces of the puzzle that you need to be careful that you know about. 
when you get into this industry. Not a big thing at all though, but I did think it was different from music. Yeah, that totally makes sense. If you do go out on the road with one band, that's a job. It's got its politics. It's got its good days and bad days, just like any job. There's a certain level of freedom and autonomy that you have in the way that you're operating now mm -hmm. where, yeah, you know, you got to commit and be out there for, you know, a long weekend of maybe some festival type activity, but come Monday it's over and you can go back to, oh, next week could be a completely chill install at a church yep. or a home theater thing or whatever, a university type situation where it's just you with the computer sitting down, figuring out the logistics and the costs and how you're going to install a piece of gear, what gear you're going to choose. And that in itself, I think, depending on your personality, can be really great. Oh, I'm absolutely. We spent today getting the NMSU football stadiums PA back up and running. And that's our, our job every year to somehow get that thing to function for another year because it is old and uh, you have to rebuild it about every two years and put it back together and make it function. And uh, so we were climbing the big scoreboard tower and doing all this fun stuff that we do to make that go. And, uh, you know, I love that kind of stuff. I'm strangely weird about that. Keeping an old PA functioning is entertaining on a certain level. You know, keeping a piece of gear that is iconically been in this tower for a long time and needs to run for one more year has a fun to it. Yeah, very fascinating. And it's, uh, I always say this, you know, people get into audio and they have, you know, like anything, I mean, I moved out to San Francisco with big dreams of being a rock star. Obviously that didn't work out. And I wound up in, in audio and a lot of people say, well, you know, they want to, like you talked about, you know, they, they, they want to climb the ladder of whatever it is they're getting involved with. And it, I always reiterate, it's okay if things don't always work out exactly because the silver lining is, is you ultimately will find what works for you and your personality if you really want to stay in it. You can be in a small town, make a living, do audio, keep one foot in the, you know, maybe the bigger international game of audio, but at the same time, take care of the pe local people and still get paid and make a living. A long time ago, I figured out that we started out, you know, in this doing bars, me and David, our big dream was that Las Cruces would have PAs and bars so you didn't have to bring your PA in as a local band. That was the original dream. And I go back and run clubs just every now and again now. It's, it's rare. I don't like being in that volume level. I go on earplugs pretty quick. But I'll do this Friday or yeah, next Friday, I'll do Ghetto Blaster in El Patio, Drew's band. And, uh, and I will love every inch of that because there's just, that's the meat of it. That's the cool thing. That's the fun thing, you know, doing a band in a bar where there's no stress, nobody cares about any of the stuff that you and I both deal with on the political side of it. Just none of that matters. You know, eventually I'll get to one of our big shows where I'm dealing with promoters and band managers and can we plug our bus in here? I mean, just all the stuff that goes along with that craziness. And in that moment in the bar, it's why we got into this. That's the whole reason. Yeah. And, de and dealing with familiar people and friends where there's yep. no pretension, there's no bullshit. Nope. It's just fun. Yes. And it's why we all started this whole process in the first place. I never had any dreams of grandeur on the audio side. I did it as a musician. We all did. How do you leave, oh, yeah. how do you leave high Absolutely. school? Absolutely. Yeah, we want to be Never had it in audio. Um, I just thought I just thought audio would be more stepping stone type of stuff, and it's not. It's still very, very 
based upon who you know and when you know them. Yeah. You know, it's still part of the game. And so the young guys, I would just be careful and tell them, hey, if that's what you're looking for, the be the big guy behind the huge concert, you might get there, but be careful about that as a notion. Make sure you love running sound. If you love running sound, you'll never, ever totally hate this job. If you love hearing, if you love a kick drum through like a bunch of 18s, you know, if that's a fun sound to you, you know, when you're sound checking, then you're in the right business. If you're hoping just to be somebody's important something or other, this might not be the right business. So that's the only careful thing I would tell anybody. If people wanted to like do a little bit of Googling on you uh, and the company, what's the company called and what's the website? Do you have a website? The funny thing about KW Sound is we've managed to make it this far and have nothing internet based. Oh my God. Not even a Facebook page. Cause Kenny's, I mean, Kenny's from the generation that doesn't involve that. And we're just starting to push on that. My girlfriend and myself and Bobby, if we buy the company, which I think is going to happen, we'll push all of that. But I'm not sure it matter right now. We can't stay on top of the work we have without that presence. But it is a debate because we have had some jobs that probably should have come our direction that went someone else's direction because we didn't have that presence. Mm -hmm. So we're definitely having to, to look into that. But if you can believe it, this company in this day and age lives off completely word of mouth, small town. And you know, word of mouth is something we constantly discuss on the show. So that is no big surprise. Very cool, Will. Thank you so much for chatting with me. It's good to catch up with you and kind of hear the detail of this because I didn't realize a lot of the detail of this. So it's <laughs> good, good time, man. It's good to, good to hear. It's cool you're doing this. Well, thank you. This is very cool. All right. Well, that's it. Will Sadler. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Will Sadler here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being with me today. If you get a chance, stop on by our website, workingclassaudio.com. Maybe click on one of our sponsors there and uh, pay them a visit. They do help make the podcast possible. I'm talking about the License Lab, Gearsluts.com, Roswell Pro Audio, Audio Technica, or Universal Audio. And, of course, I want to thank Mr. Cliff Truesdale and Mr. Chuck Smith for their help. And I also want to thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.